One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/people today. Bad Dad, Rad Dad, where we look for better dads one movie at a time. I'm Kylie. And I'm Elliot. And we're going to talk about the movies we watched this week before crowning the baddest dad and raddest dad of them all. And as always, dad is an energy, not a gender. All right. So winter is officially here for us. Yeah. It's like Halloween happened. And then literally the very next day, November 1st, is like, okay, you've had fall. That's enough. It, got, was, a, it was like a blizzard. Yeah. Got a big dump of snow. And as of us recording this right now, it feels like minus 20 outside. Or it could be negative 20 outside. Yeah, if you're my students and you're trying to figure out how people talk about temperature. Yeah. I'm in the minus. I, I say minus. I say minus. Yeah. But, oh, man. Putting on the heat, having some blankies, it's cozy as hell right now in our house. But if you have to leave the house? No, thank you. Yeah. Rather be home. And what a and what a great excuse to just cuddle up and watch some movies, you know? Yeah. If you're in Edmonton, you got that snow. If you're anywhere else and you have snow or don't have snow. Stay home and watch a movie. Yeah. Yeah. Highly recommend. Curl up and do it. <clears throat> All right. Let's get into it. We watched five smackaronis this week. And the first one, we went to good old Metro Cinema and watched the 1981 horror, <laughs> horror film, The Beyond. It's directed by Lucio Fulci, and it was written by Dordano Sacchetti, who wrote the story. Dordano Sacchetti wrote the screenplay. Uh, Giorgio Mariuzzo wrote the screenplay as well, as well as Lucio Fulci. And it it was inspired by H.P. Lovecraft and Clark Ashton Smith. In terms of the cast, I'm going to use the American names that some of these people chose because I am trash at trying to say Italian names. Uh, so Catherine McColl as Liza, David Warbeck as Dr. John McCabe, uh, Sarah Keller as Emily, and that'll do it for this. <laughs> um, in terms of the synopsis, we've got a young woman inherits an old hotel in Louisiana where following a series of supernatural ac- quote-unquote accidents, she learns that the building was built over one of the entrances to hell. <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> Jinkies. <laughs> uh, yeah, what do you think of the beyond? So I'm so glad that we had a chance to 
watch some movies with our friend Lori. If you haven't listened to the episode that she did with us or the episode that we did with her on her show, Queer Horror Cult, what are you doing? Go listen to those. Um, but Lori really loves the Beyond. And for some reason, I had it in my mind that this was like high level horror. Because mm-hmm. I had never seen a Lucio Fulci film before. Yeah. And we had mentioned to Lori that we were going to see it because we knew that she liked it. And she goes, oh, it's it's garbage trash. <laughs> yeah, it's just a schlock fest. And as soon as she told us that, it allowed me to reframe my mind. And I'm so glad that we knew that prior to seeing this because otherwise I might have not been able to enjoy it as much as I did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She also warned us that there's a lot of eye stuff. Appreciated that. And then in the lobby on the way into the theater, we ran into some old friends of ours who Mm -hmm. we've known for a long time who hadn't seen the movie before. And I said, oh, our friend told us there's a lot of eye stuff. (laughs) One of them goes, oh, thank God you told me I hate eye stuff. (laughs) And to the truth, yeah, there is a lot of eye stuff. So... And when we say eye stuff, we're talking about eye gore. Gore pertaining to eyes. <laughs> eyes being poked, eyes being... Eyes wide poked. Eyes wide poked. <laughs> eyes being poked out, eyes being poked in. You name it. <laughs> yeah. Whatever you can think of being done to an eye that's gross, we got it. We got it in here. But yeah, other than, other than that, what do you think? <laughs> So this was super bananas fun. Oh, big time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just like I had such a good time with it. <laughs> and I'm really glad we saw it in the theater. Like it was really yeah. fun to see in the theater. Um, so it's super goofy, but it's also quite gross when it wants to be. And like really gooey. Yeah, gooey is a good word. Very, yeah, very a wet goo. Yeah, a wet, a wet goo. Yeah. Yeah, it, the whole the whole thing was. I'm I, like you said. I'm glad that Lori primed us for it, but I was not prepared for yeah, just how ridiculous and wild this was. But yeah, made all the more fun by seeing it in the theater. But I will say, I mean, the gore was fantastic, and it's like it's all practical, and it was done. It was done so well, and it is so gratuitous and over the top, ridiculous. Like you even know, and they hold on so many shots where something gory is happening and it's clearly like a dummy or like a fake person. And (laughs) it's just so, it's just reveling in how gross it is. I loved it. And the other thing that Lori had explained to us, because this, I don't know if we've ever talked about this, but we watched the original Suspiria, I want to say in like 2009 or 2010. We rented it from the movie studio, rest in peace. Um, And I was really confused because I was like, this is an Italian movie. Why are they speaking English? Mm -hmm. And thought that we had like the wrong version and then later on found out that no, that is what it is. And so Lori explained to us that a lot of times with these Italian films, they wouldn't even record sound. Yeah. Even if the characters were or the actors were speaking English and then they would overdub it after and do all of the sound after. And it seemed to me like that was the case with this movie. Yeah, because nothing was syncing out between lips and sound. There was a couple. I feel like the actress who played Emily was pretty good at her dubs. Yeah. But a lot of it was like, you can tell that that is what they're saying, that they were speaking English. Like it's not a trans translation dub. Mm-hmm. But it adds to this like a weird uncanniness of the film where just things feel a little off. Yeah. You know? Like the whole thing already kind of feels a little bit dreamy 
So when you when you're watching people speak and it's just not matching up with the mouth movement, it's just kind of throwing you even more for a loop. And I, yeah, it was so interesting learning that because I did not realize that that was a thing. Mm-hmm. And again, that was another thing I was really glad to be prepped for because, yeah, I think I leaned over and I'm like, oh, this is the thing that Lori told <laughs> us about. Like, they didn't record the sound. Yeah. There also is just those like, I, I feel like this is something that people would want to know if they were going to approach this movie. There is an extended sequence with tarantulas. Yeah. And it is, it is something. Oh, man. Any, I would say most of, if not all of the deaths in this movie are, I, I return to the word gratuitous. Like, and overly lengthy. Oh, where it's yeah. It's just like the same shot over and over again with this score that really reminded me of the score from Saw. Yeah, yeah. It was very like, uh, like honestly, did you, did you look that up at all? Like, I did and there's nothing. Because it is. Maybe people who like the Beyond don't like Saw, but. Maybe, but it is so close. Like that's yeah. the vibe, but like the whole movie. Yeah, you the know, same score is repeated again. Yeah, like and again. the ending song that's played at the end of Saw is so epic and so great, and we've seen it so many times. But we didn't. We don't hear it till the end. It's it's as if you took that score and put it across the whole movie. Anytime anything horror or gory is happening, I very rarely say anything out loud in a theater because I think that's disrespectful but at a certain point i did have to lean over to you and say this sounds like the score from saw and then as it kept going like do 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 i like leaned over and i said game over (laughs) and i think i went no no (laughs) man i love Saw. if we uh if we haven't talked about this in the past we we know the script to saw like the back of our hands and um we would be interested in doing a two-person show of it um, if but, that's something you'd be interested in seeing, but should we start a Kickstarter? Yeah, like <laughs> like doing like a one act, but all three acts, <laughs> <laughs> and we play all the characters. And like, would we do? Because I know we've kind it's of gone time back and to die. I feel like we've gone back and forth on this. If we would do the whole movie, or if we would just do the like Doctor Gordon and Adam in locked in the in the bathroom. Well, I feel like we probably start with that. And then when it's when it gets rave reviews and a lot of success, then we add in the rest of the scenes. And then when that goes really well, we do our our second show, which is the Green Mile. Yeah. And we do all the parts. So if you want to help pave our path to the Tonys, that would be really great. Yeah. um, If that's something you're interested in seeing, I did take drama 10 and 20. (laughs) And Elliot did agree to be in a high school play that I was helping to put on in in 30 when I actually wasn't enrolled in the class. And then he pulled out of it a couple weeks before the show. So we are experts. Yeah. I mean, I took, I, I I definitely flaked on the high school one act and I took drama seven and eight. So I think that we're pretty well primed for this. Yeah. And if you want to see it, a, let us know, B, I'll fund it. (laughs) (laughs) First time we'll put it on, it'll just be in our, lo- our uh, yeah. living room. It'll be great. Uh. <laughs> okay, but back to the beyond. Um, fun fact. Mm-hmm. So Grindhouse releasing is like the distributor, I guess, who like re-released this movie mm. and restored it in 1998. And this guy named Bob Muraski, Mira- who uh, was part of the restoration of this, is also a film editor. And he was a film editor on Spider-Man 20, no, 2002. 
Oh, like the OG? Yeah. And he used a shot from this scene during the spider bite dream sequence. Oh, really? Mm -hmm. From the tarantulas. (laughs) (laughs) I would would imagine so. (laughs) But you love Spider-Man 2002. I love Spider-Man. I love all the Spider-Man. You love all the Spider-Man, even Spider-Man 3? Uh, I mean, if, if, if anything, it gave us some really great memes. That's true. And I'm really grateful for that. Um, I have, so this movie is wild. Yeah. And mostly an experience and not much of a story, but I did like the ending. Like I thought the ending was really eerie and cool. Yeah. This movie reminded me of like an episode of Are You Afraid of the Dark? Mm-hmm. Where it's like it doesn't need to make perfect sense or be phenomenal because it was more about the experience of watching it mm-hmm. and like this feeling of like eeriness or upset in the moment. But then with an episode of TV, especially like an anthology show, you might be more willing to just be like, yeah, that was fine. And then watch the next one. Yeah. Um, that's how I felt about this. But I, I, I kind of like that. Like I had so much fun watching this movie and it was like just total schlock really ridiculous over the top and yeah the story was nothing to write home about but it if it gives you an experience that you enjoyed and it and it can have all of those things i just mentioned like why not like that's that's totally cool i'm totally cool with that um and i i think that if you just want to have a good time and like you like horror and you like gore and you're okay with eye stuff, I would recommend checking this out. I think it's really fun. I'll definitely rewatch it. Would you watch other Fulci movies? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm totally in. I've, like, seen the clip from that zombie movie, because he made that zombie movie, right? Yeah. Uh, like, I've seen that tons of times. So I, I, I've totally dive further into the Fulci, the Fulci-verse. The Fulci-verse. Yeah. I don't got much more to say about this movie. So um, there is something I want to talk about, which kind of doesn't really have much to do with the movie, but has to do with the experience of the movie. Okay. So the theater was like not super full. Mm-hmm. There's an, a decent crowd and it's a pretty quiet crowd, like very respectful crowd. But at a certain point near the end of the movie, there was like a ruckus happening in the lobby. And I was like, what oh, the yeah. heck is going on out there? Forgot like why? This is it so noisy in the lobby? Like what movie is playing next? And if you've been listening to this show, you know that we stay through the credits to the chagrin of some theater workers. Never at Metro. Metro's awesome. They like very respectful about that. Um, But we're, I mean, you, you in particular, Elliot are like a, you take your time putting on your jacket putting things back into your bag. So yeah, don't rush me. You know, I'm, I'm ready to go and you're kind of still getting ready. And a person walks into the theater in like full clown makeup with a rubber chicken and then just like leans up against a a surface and it's just like squeaks. Mm -hmm. And I was like, what, what's going on? And then we walk out and the lobby doors are open and it is hundreds of, of people mm-hmm. like just waiting to get in most dressed as clowns. Yep. And I was like, what? And it's because terrifier two was playing after it was the premiere of it at Metro. I think the the first showing of it in the city. I don't know that anywhere else is playing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was just like, holy hell. 
And you and I have been having a lot of complicated feelings about the Terrifier movies because mm. on the one hand, there's such a topic of conversation. The fact that the second one has just come out and it's almost two and a half hours long. And how how often do you get horror movies or genre movies like this that are that are that long or have the ability to be that long? And like apparently the gore is like really impressive in it. But. I'm like really nervous about the violence being mean spirited, particularly towards women. And even if there isn't sexual violence in the violence, that the violence is sexualized, which I tend to have a tough time with. Like in the sadness, I really, that movie really left a bad taste in my mouth. Yeah. Um, I'm all for gore. Like give me gore, give me violence, but I want it to be equal opportunity gore and violence. Mm -hmm. And if there is a violence directed, particularly at women, or a mean-spirited violence that it has some meaning within the film and it seems like this is just like reveling in that but I haven't I haven't seen it so it's also that thing of how can you critique something that you haven't seen and so I keep going back and forth on like do I want to see it don't I want to see it do I want to see it don't I want to see it and then I you know every time I talk to someone who I really respect a handful of them have been like yeah I like our friend we ran into in the lobby was like I've seen the first one and I will not be seeing the second one like it's too misogynistic and mm -hmm. then like Lori said, yeah, I, I, I don't think you'll like it if if that bothers you. So, but then seeing that big crowd, I was like, but that seems fun. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I won't be part of this. <laughs> and th and then there's also people I respect who really like the movies. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. Like I'm just, I'm not anti the movies, but I'm worried that I would watch it because of this FOMO and then just be really upset. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I hear you. But coming back to the beyond and the experience of watching it, how did it make you feel? It honestly made me exuberantly joyful. No, oh, yeah. Nice. Yeah, I just, uh, it just uh, made me feel like I was in a perpetual state of what the fuck. Which, what the fuck? Which was great. And it made me feel like I was kind of like in a dream. The whole thing felt very dreamy and uh, surreal. And I loved it. Like, like I said, I, if this is your jam, Definitely recommend seeking it out. It was great. It was such great fun. And I am really excited to talk about this next movie. <laughs> this was our this was our Halloween October 31st movie. It usually is. Let's get into it. We watched Halloween. Nice. On Halloween. But the Halloween. John Carpenter's 1978 Halloween horror thriller. Directed by John Carpenter, written by John Carpenter and Deborah Hill. Starring Jamie Lee Curtis as Laurie, Donald Pleasance as Loomis, and Tony Moran as Michael Myers. Synopsis. Fifteen years after murdering his sister on Halloween night, 1963, Michael Myers escapes from a mental hospital and returns to the small town of Haddonfield, Illinois. Kill again. Mm -hmm. uh, fun fact about this. My sister, my second oldest sister, um, we owned this movie on VHS. And she used to do a Sean Connery impersonation, but she could only do it if she was reading the back cover of this VHS tape. <laughs> so I've heard that like Michael Myers, but like I can't, I can't do it <laughs> um, so many times. Anyway, we love this movie. We've seen this movie many times, but we haven't yet talked about it on the show. Mm -hmm. What do you think of Halloween? Yeah. So this is our go-to Halloween movie. We watch it every Halloween and I actually didn't end up watching this movie until a lot later in life, despite me talking on the show of how I watched so many inappropriate movies when I was younger. 
I, yeah, I, I don't think I saw this until I feel like I was in my 20s. Like, I feel like we were together when I saw this for the first time. Really? I think so. You saw it with me when you saw it for the first time? I think so. Huh. Um, but the conditions of watching it this year, I want to tell a little bit of, a little bit of a story. So on Halloween this year, we were in this new neighborhood in our new house and we wanted to go out on Halloween. We typically go out for a walk because we want to kind of check out the neighborhood and how people have decorated their houses and if they're doing anything kind of cool or freaky. And we were walking around and because we were kind of primed to uh, there was a lot of chatter about like, oh, expect like 400 kids and people deck out their houses in this neighborhood and they take Halloween very, very seriously. And we're like, all right, this is going to be great. And we headed out and we're quite disappointed yeah at first well i mean the most impressive thing we saw in an eye rolly way was somebody who had their tesla (laughs) or we prefer to say telsa um (laughs) on their driveway in like a they opened display kind like it was like it was like a showroom like they yeah they opened up all of it and they put the candy that the kids take from the like the boot if you will of the car so it's just like this weird like brag (laughs) yeah like you got yeah you just went up to this telsa and took candy out of a bowl that was in the like open hood yeah but then all of the doors were open so you could have like the like tea was like projected onto the driveway i was like what is this this is so weird Ooh, spooky telsa (laughs) and then it had like music playing inside of it i think anyway that was like the only thing we saw that made us like notice anything and we were just like eye rolling about it. So we were pretty disappointed. We did have this nice cul-de-sac that gave us mochas. Yeah, this is where it started turning around. We kind of went to a, a certain section of the neighborhood where, yeah, these people had these tables out and they were serving coffee and you could throw in some Kahlua or some Baileys if you wanted to. And they had nice to-go cups for them. And then they were also handing out candy to all the adults. They had a fire going. You could like chill out by the fire for a while if you wanted to. And they were so friendly. Very friendly. So that that's where it kind of turned around. We got our hot bevies. We continued our walk. And then we found kind of like the sweet spot of the neighborhood. Yeah. And there, there, was, there was these people that decked out their house and it, they... They used like lighting effects and like some sheets to make it look like the inside of their house was on fire. It was so cool. It was so cool. Um, they had there was this other folks that used a bunch of skeletons and in funny ways in their front lawn. But like the piece de resistance of the whole thing was this one house where in their front yard they had this big sign that said like leather faces butchery or something, and they had a big statue. Or a dummy of Leatherface and then a bunch of body parts on the table and kind of scattered about the yard. They had some spiders that were like motion activated so they would jump out at you. But the winner of it all is in the garage, in the darkness of their garage, they had somebody that was dressed up as Michael Myers. And you went up and got a picture. I'm like, oh, Kylie, you got to get a picture of Michael Myers. I went up to him and I said, can I get a picture with you? And in character... No words. No words. Just motions with his knife to <laughs> join him in the garage. And then he like he like posed with the knife while we took the photo. Then afterwards I said, thank you so much. And he just nodded. <laughs> and I was like, oh, I'm obsessed. I love the commitment to the bit. It's it was so amazing. I, I'm sure whoever that person is does not listen to our show. 
But if by some weird twist of fate, because our server at our anniversary dinner this week knew who we were somehow. Yeah. Things are happening in Edmonton. People are starting to know who we are that we don't know who they are, which is wild. Yeah. But if by some twist of fate, you know the people, you're listening to this and you know the people who ran that house, own that house, put up those decorations, <laughs> whatever. Please tell them they made our Halloween. Yeah. And it was one of the best things that's ever happened to me in my entire life. Well, it was so... What a lovely like way to like get so pumped up, and especially by the main character of the movie that we, that are, we are planning to, to go home and watch. Yeah. So we did that. Yeah, we got, well, I got a photo with Michael Myers, and then we came back home to watch him in Halloween. I did see this for the first time ever, Halloween 20, why do I want to say it's later than it is? Halloween 2002 hmm. was the first, no, it'd be 2000. Yeah, 2002, when we were in grade seven. Like the the Jessica Biel one, right? No, that's Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Oh, sorry. I saw this Halloween, John Carpenter's Halloween, to Halloween 2002. In 2002. Correct. On Halloween night, 2002. Were you like with a bunch of friends? I was with one friend. Yeah, we went um, trick-or-treating. Dressed as the Powerpuff Girls. We were the Powerpuff Girls together. We had a third friend who went trick-or-treating with us, but I don't believe stayed overnight for the sleepover, but this was 10 years ago, so 20 years ago. (laughs) 10 years ago, I wish I was still in my 20s. 20 years ago, I don't really remember, but I do remember we watched that movie at the friend's house. I was having a sleepover, and it scared the piss out of me, Mm -hmm. and I didn't sleep all night. Mm -hmm. And she seemed to fall asleep just fine, so I was like, am I just a little baby? Like, what's going on? (laughs) Um, and then somehow over the years, it became a thing that you and I would watch the Rob Zombie Halloween mm-hmm. on Halloween. And last year we realized that is silly. John Carpenter's Halloween is far superior. And we've begun watching his, his Halloween on Halloween. Yeah. I think that the, the Rob Zombie version, like really messed me up the first time that I saw it. The kids, like the first half of it, the prequely part of it giving some backstory to Michael Myers mm-hmm. prior to his first murder is really well done. Yeah. But it, as a whole, yeah, it doesn't hold up that well. And the sequel to it was not good at all. So why would we spend our time rewatching that over and over? Yeah. Like you said, when we can just watch this, Um, but you're totally right on it being terrifying. Cause I was, I was talking to a person that I work with, and uh, he was saying that his kids watched it and they're like in their mid ish, early teens. Um, and he was saying that it scared the piss out of them. And it's just like, that's the staying power of this movie. Mm-hmm. Like there's just something very relatably scary about these movies. Well, I think the cool thing about John Carpenter's Halloween, people who don't like it are wrong. <laughs> I very often encourage diverse opinions about movies, but if you think this is boring, I don't know what's wrong with you. Is that it's also just like so well made as a piece of cinema. Mm -hmm. Like it's interestingly shot. Like there's interesting moments. You can pause this film and just look at the art in the camera setup. Mm -hmm. It's got this like iconic, but very sparingly used score, like a la Jaws. That just helps to between that like use of the imagery, like stillness, like just seeing Michael Myers standing somewhere 
Yeah. And then cutting back and he's not there anymore. Mm -hmm. This building sense of tension and dread, which is so much scarier and lingers so much more than a schlock fest like the beyond, Mm -hmm. right? Which might be upsetting in the moment, but maybe doesn't stay with you. Mm -hmm. It's, there's something about Michael Myers when you kind of, when you put him up, up against like other iconic horror legends, like a Jason or a Freddy, um, or a Leatherface or something like that. All of, all of which, with the exception of Freddy, don't really speak. Mm-hmm. And there's just something, I feel like of all of those, Michael Myers is the most horrifying. Because there's just something about him that it's it's supernatural, but it's you can't explain it. And it just seems so like thoughtful, like, the things he does seem so like thought out and intentional and there's no understanding him. Yeah. He is the shark in jaws. Like, because there's this, it's what they talk about in, in scream. The lack of a motivation is scarier. Yeah. But I think you even asked, like we've seen this movie a ton of times. We've seen the first of the Rob zombie Halloween's many times. And I think the second one I've just seen once. And then we haven't seen any of the sequels mm-hmm. to the original Halloween. But this ended and you said, why does he go after Lori? Yeah. And I said, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, Rob Zombie offers an explanation. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean that was John Carpenter's. It, when you just watch the original film, there is no reason. Yeah. It's very The Strangers. Like, why yes. are you doing this? Because you're home. Mm-hmm. Because I saw you on this drive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, like there's, there's just like a fundamental thing, much like the shark in Jaws, where the... Much like the shark is just going to swim and eat and that's it. Michael Myers is just going to hunt and kill people. <laughs> I asked you this question um, and it might be a silly question, but I wanted to bring it up again here. Um, I asked, why is it always teens that are, you know, the victims in horror movies? Like so often it's always teenagers. Mm-hmm. And your answer, which I, I think is right, is like that's who these movies are for, mm-hmm. typically. Like horror movies that are made, the majority of them are for teenagers. But I kind of got thinking about that after the fact. And now we're kind of in this era of quote unquote elevated horror, whether you call it that or not, which I feel is more adult focused. Like the things going on, like you think of a hereditary or a Midsommar mm-hmm. or the witch or something like that. Midsommar is really like college age. But yeah, but I like I, I don't feel you compare something mm. like Halloween to any of those three that I just that I just mentioned. I, I don't think that teens like the accessibility of that. Like I feel like the teens are going to go more for like a smile or gotcha. something like that, yeah. you know? But Smile also wasn't that good. Teens don't go for Smile. (laughs) They do. Many of them have. But like, what about It Follows? Yeah, like I feel like that hits, that hits like a really nice sweet spot. Because I feel like that is for, that is for teens, but it also is starting to kind of inch its way into the quote unquote elevated horror. I don't know. Do you like the term elevated horror? I, I don't. That's why I keep saying quote unquote. Because I feel like it's just the evolution of horror that's kind of happening now. And it, 
And yeah, I don't like cool. the idea that it's better than any other kind of horror. Yeah. I, I like I was really excited for Smile. And I love the ring. Yeah. And I was excited like for Barbarian. And I love Saw. Yeah. And Barbarian and X. Like are teenagers watching X? At least one in out of fifty two <laughs> of my students. <laughs> but I think it's like just the way horror's going is really cool. Like the fact that you can have like a like a Texas Chainsaw Massacre esque movie in X, and then you could continue in the same universe and throw out a movie like Pearl, mm-hmm. which is not the same kind of vibe at all, but still lives within the same universe. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't go as far as saying like Pearl is elevated horror and X is not. Like it's just the evolution of horror as time goes on. There's also an interesting, I was having an interesting conversation with my older sister because last week when we were talking about Scream, I said I couldn't remember the first time I watched it. And then I was like, I had a vague memory of my oldest sister. She's six years older than me, perhaps showing it to me because there was a period where her and I watched like a lot of horror movies together. We watched House of a Thousand Corpses together. It's the one I remember most. Mm-hmm. Um, and she really liked horror. And I texted her and I said, did you show me Scream? And she said, well, I don't remember that, but that doesn't mean it didn't happen. Mm-hmm. And she said, I really liked those movies when I was a teenager. So probably... And then she was saying, ever since I have had kids, I can't watch horror anymore. Mm. And I wonder to what degree that's true for a lot of people that as they get older and their lives change, where they might once have liked horror, it's too real, too upsetting, too dark, and they can't have that as something that they're engaging with. Right. And so then to make movies that appeal to that age group Mm -hmm. is perhaps a losing battle. Yeah. Yeah. But maybe that's changing as less of us are having kids. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I, yeah, I don't PhD know. PhD thesis, I'll figure it out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, it's, it is interesting because, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I feel like there's so many there's so many gateways into horror now for young people and different s- styles of horror. And with the number of TV shows that exist now um, that base themselves in horror, mm-hmm. uh, there's so many entry points. But... Yeah, let's get let's get back to to Halloween, John Carper- John Carpenter's Halloween. Uh, another aspect of this that makes this movie so iconic is the music, mm-hmm. which was done by John Carpenter himself. Mm-hmm. And I got to you got to respect that there's only like maybe a handful of tracks that actually play throughout the movie, and they're all great. It's all it's all amazing, and they're all used very strategically, and it it becomes really repetitive. But I think that kind of just adds to the whole atmosphere of the whole thing of, you know, there's a certain piece that'll play when Michael Myers is around or when he's stalking or when he's attacking um, or just when there's a lot of there's a lot of um, focus on kind of suburbia in this. <laughs> Bless you. Thank you. Like the and it and it feels so. Like it, it feels like, you know, so idyllic, like this is where people live. This is where families are. And now there's this monster that's kind of lurking around and it through the camera work and through the way the score sets up everything. It just, it makes you feel so uncomfortable for so long because it is a slower burn of a movie. It's so, yeah, it's so masterful. I love it so much. Great movie. I like watching it every Halloween. You were missed not to mention uh, Jamie Lee Curtis, who's the OG Scream Queen. I think like the 
it was her that they like coined that term for. You know who her mom is? I do, but I don't. So her mom's Janet Lee, who played Marion Crane in Psycho. Right. Which yeah. is one of the reasons that John Carpenter cast her. Ah. She's like, gotta, gotta, gotta get in early. Well, he, I think he had a real respect for Psycho because he also names Donald Pleasant's character Loomis after the detective in in Psycho. Yeah. Or the um private eye yeah. in, yeah, in yeah, Psycho. Yeah. Uh, so kind of a cool connection. That is cool. Did you also know that John Carpenter and Deborah Hill were a couple and then broke up? The 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 screenwriters broke up after they did this. They broke up in 1979, so the next year. And Jamie Lee Curtis has been quoted as saying, "They were my horror movie parents. I was their child. When they broke up, I cried." Because <laughs> yeah, this is her first movie, I think. I think so too. Yeah. Yeah, that's sad. Well, they they made one hell of a movie. So good. Mm-hmm. How does Halloween make you feel? It always makes me feel so excited mm-hmm. when we're getting too closer to Halloween and then when we get to the day and we throw it on. But then I always kind of get the hit with this uh, feeling of uh, of feeling bittersweet because it kind of is, it signals the end of the Halloween <laughs> season. So when the credits roll on Halloween, I usually get a little bit, a little bit sad because Halloween is over. Yeah, and you can watch horror movies anytime, and I know that. But there's just something really special about the month of October and and just like the vibe that's in the air that I look forward to every year. So it is a little bit sad when it ends. That's sad. Yeah. How did it make you feel? It always just gives me a real deep appreciation for horror. Yeah, to watch like something so classic and iconic. Yeah, and I just, as we were watching it this year, I was really struck by, you know, so many of the people involved in this film are aging or not here anymore, and this movie is going to continue to resonate and scare new kids and Mm -hmm. become new favorites forever. Mm -hmm. And that just gives me such a feeling of gratitude for how art like ripples out mm-hmm. and how horror has a place in that. Yeah. I don't know. I just was really struck by that, that, you know, John Carpenter's a man in his like late seventies, I think now. And he was just a young gun at this time making a movie with like very little money that has become like so amazing. And they had no idea that it would be this iconic mm-hmm. that that mask would become instantly recognizable that the music would be instantly recognizable one of my favorite things that one of my administrators at my school does is on halloween day he just plays the halloween music from the time he gets into the (laughs) building until first block starts and keeps all of the lights like only the emergency lights in the school on (laughs) Um, he plays that and he plays the psycho theme just like over and over again and yeah just i watch this movie and i can't help but have all of that caught up in it like the fact that i watched it when i was 12 and it scared the pants off me then and i just love it now and it's just really cool yeah that's yeah that's great it yeah it is stand it is to the test of time and i think we've kind of touched on that before of just what it must be like to be making a film and just not have any idea that oh this is going to be an iconic film Mm -hmm. and an important film and i love that 
it was iconic for Jamie Lee Curtis. And then we've also talked multiple times about a movie this year that is also iconic that stars Jamie Lee Curtis in everything, everywhere, all at once. Mm-hmm. Such a jam. Which will have that kind of staying power too, I think, in yeah. a very different way. Yeah, big time. All right. So let's move on to the next one, which was a mystery movie pick, specifically my mystery movie pick. And I chose the 2007 drama crime thriller, No Country for Old Men. It was directed by Ethan and Joel Cohen, as well as written by them, based on the novel by Cormac McCarthy. It stars Tommy Lee Jones as Ed Tom Bell, Javier Bardem as Anton Chigurh, Josh Brolin as Llewellyn Moss, Woody Harrelson as Carson Wells, uh, Kelly McDonald as Carla Jean Moss, and Garrett Dillahunt as Wendell. The synopsis is violence and mayhem ensue after a hunter stumbles upon a drug deal gone, gone wrong and more than $2 million in cash near the Rio Grande. What did you think of No Country for Old Men? I'm so glad you picked it because, interestingly, like a lot of the movies we watched this week, it's a rewatch, mm-hmm. but the conditions of the original watch really impacted my viewing of it. Mm-hmm. So I saw this for the first time uh, when I was in grade 12. And my sister and her friend, my sister's three years older than me, and her friend wanted to watch it. So they would have been, what, 20? Mm. Um, and me and the person I was dating at the time were like, oh, we'll watch it with you. But the two of them proceeded to talk throughout the entire thing. Mm. They just like visit throughout <laughs> the entire movie. And then when the movie was done, they were like, huh, that was stupid. I don't understand it. Um, I don't think my sister listens to the show. So. <laughs> If you're listening, I'm sorry, but it was annoying. And I think you would acknowledge that now. You could have done better. (laughs) You could have done better indeed. (laughs) And so I just like wasn't able to get it. And I never held that against the movie. I was never like the movie's bad. I was just like, I wasn't able to focus. I wasn't able to understand it. Rewatching it now. Yeah, this movie needs quiet. Yeah. It needs respect. (laughs) It needs respect. Yeah, it needs just a level of engagement that cannot happen when your older sister and her friend are being annoying on the couch. <laughs> yeah. So what did I think of it this time? It's just so fascinating. Mm-hmm. It's so quiet and captivating and upsetting. And yet still has that Coen brothers humor. Yeah. Like there's some moments that are really funny. I almost think of it as like a flipping of the scales of Fargo where yeah. Fargo is predominantly funny, but also has some pretty violent stuff in it. Mm-hmm. Whereas this one is predominantly violent with some funny moments. Yeah. But it still feels like a Coen brothers movie. Yeah. No, totally. You'd seen it before. I had. Yeah. I, I have kind of a bit of an interesting history with this movie um, and a little bit of a story that I want to tell along with that. So this, when I first saw this movie, this was kind of the start of my seeking higher caliber films. Um, cause I was, it was brought to my attention when I was in high school in grade 12, I was taking a film and media studies class and the instructor for that class was a very unique individual, but he loved film mm-hmm. a lot. And I remember going into that class And I was like, I watch indie movies. I like, I like the butterfly effect. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And like, he was just like, you, you don't know what that is yet. And like, I admittedly, yeah. Until that point in high school, till I started taking that class with him, 
I was very much just watching kind of the stuff, the mainstream stuff that was kind of coming out. And I didn't really know how to seek out anything outside of that. So when I got into his class, he started like lending me movies because he had a huge movie collection that was in the classroom that was locked away. It wasn't for students, but he saw it his personal collection. Yeah. But he kept it at the school. Yeah. Like I think he had stuff. He definitely had stuff at home, but I think he had stuff in the classroom as well. So he'd lend me a bunch of classic movies, but like really important independent movies as well. Um, But during this year where No Country for Old Men came out, I think that he got a hold of it through means that are (laughs) not the way that you should get movies. And he showed it to us as a class. He showed you this (laughs) in high school? Yes. Wow. Yeah. This guy was a white man, very confident in keeping his job, huh? <laughs> Big time. <laughs> so, and I would I, never show this to my students. <laughs> yeah. And I, I remember just being like so enthralled by it. He showed us a lot of, like he, he introduced me to Breaking Bad. He showed us like the first two episodes of Breaking Bad in class. He showed me the first episode of Dexter in class. Did you watch the entirety of this movie in school? Yeah. Over a couple classes then? Must have been. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. But it was great. Like, I remember thinking, like, wow, this this is an incredible movie. Um, And then I ended up buying it when it eventually came out. Watched it then. But I haven't revisited it since then. So it's been a number of years Mm -hmm. since actually seeing it. But it got me thinking about, through all of that, it's got me, it got me thinking about movies differently and how I approach them. And, And the film and media class the way to analyze film and critically think about the film that started there. And then seeing these higher caliber films put me on that path to where I am today. Mm-hmm. So watching it now, it kind of helped me love it in a new way just because of where I at, I'm at in my life and you know, the, the way that we kind of approach this show and the way we think and talk about films. Now I have so much, more respect for it, especially because we've watched a couple of Coen Brothers movies this year already. So I was able to appreciate this even more through the lens of the Coen Brothers mm-hmm. filmography. Because, yeah, you're right. It While it is primarily a dramatic piece, it is kind of that inverse of Fargo because you there are those kind of sprinkles of the signature Coen Brothers humor, which I love so much because it's just very dry and can be very silly. Especially Garrett Dillahunt's character yeah. of Wendell. There's a scene in a trailer where, <laughs> where he's with Tommy Lee Jones, who is Tommy Lee Jones has played such a just like hard and fast sheriff who like is all about no nonsense. And the character of Wendell is just just kind of dumb and a t- very typical kind of Coen Brothers character. And the dynamic of putting those two together is very fun. Yeah. But yeah, like, you, and you said too, like it's so quiet. There's no music throughout the whole thing. So yeah, I read a, a piece about how any non-diegetic sound is kind of hidden. Like mm-hmm. there is a couple instances, but it's turn your head and you miss it, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, and the first prominent use of that, of any kind of non-diegetic sound is in the credits. Yeah. Which means that there's no cueing as to how we should feel. Yeah. So it just kind of builds from the, op- the opening scene is iconic. Um, and 
the character that Javier Bardem plays, Anton Chigurh, is also iconic. But it sets up a tone in that first scene with him. And then having no music, it just kind of builds the dread that you have throughout the whole film. Mm -hmm. Because you don't know what's going to happen. You don't know when the other shoe's going to drop. You don't know what's going to happen to our main characters. It's a really effective device. Because all of a sudden we might be in a scene that's more comedic. But at any moment, something bad, like can it can take a sharp left turn at mm-hmm. any moment. It's really brilliant. I understand why this won Best Picture. Yeah, it's well made. It's interesting, though, because you say you were seeking out higher caliber films and your teacher was like, you don't know shit about shit or whatever. I mean, the Coen brothers are pretty famous. I think they're pretty mainstream. Yeah. But like, I-, I don't think this is a hard to find independent film. But I think that I wasn't really seeking out these kinds of movies. For I saw Burn After Reading in the theater. I did too. Did that come up before this? Mm-hmm. Oh, well, what do I, what do I know? <laughs> <laughs> well, no, to be fair, that came out when we were in high school. Still, right? Well, this did as well. Yeah, but we were in grade 12. I would have taken film and media in grade 11. Mm-hmm. So maybe because he started me on that journey as soon as I got into that class. So that would make sense that I'd be like, oh, Coen Brothers. Yes, yes, yes. Because I don't think I started watching Coen Brothers movies until I was in high school. Mm. Um, I was I was kind of looking this up because I was... Oh, Burn After Reading came out after. Oh, there you go. Yeah. So that makes sense. Gotcha. Um, yeah, I was thinking about the fact that this did win Best Picture, which I had totally forgot about and is wild and it rightfully deserved it. But I went back to look at what was nominated that year. I mean, first of all, only five movies were nominated for Best Picture that yeah, year. As which, it should be. Which is, yeah, that's that's good. That's a good amount. Don't need freaking 10 up there. But I thought it was interesting what it was against because I saw all of these movies except for one. So it was No Country for Old Men, Atonement, Juno, Michael Clayton, and There Will Be Blood. And the only one you haven't seen is Michael Clayton. Uh, Atonement. Oh, I've seen Atonement. Oh, there you go. So between the two of us. Seen them all. Yeah. I I did not remember that Juno was nominated for Best Picture. It did win Best Screenplay, though, didn't it? I think so. And Daniel Day-Lewis, I felt, won for... Best Actor? I think so. I'm surprised There Will Be Blood didn't win Best Picture. Me too. I like this better. Yeah. I like No Country for Old Men better. It's interesting, though, because after watching this, I'm... So fascinated by Javier Bardem's character of Shigur and mm. he's just like both fascinating and horrifying and like the philosophical elements to the film are really compelling. The film is made so well. I can see how this is a perfect movie, but there's something about it that just doesn't resonate in a five out of five way for me. Yeah, I agree. It's but kinda, I couldn't watch it every day. Yeah, that's kind of the same for me. Like I kind of cap it at a 4.5 out of five. And I think it's just, I, I absolutely love it, but yeah, it's just, I don't know if it's the bleakness or, or what it is, but it's that emotional thing of like, I don't want to stay in this world for yeah, a Yeah. There's long something time. about it that feels like me peering into something else and it gives me insight and, I'm engaged in it and I'm fascinated by it. And then I leave and it's not a part of me anymore. Right. Where something like After Sun or Everything Ever All at Once or Parasite or 2001 A Space Odyssey, 
I just feel like I've become entangled with the film and it like is lingering with me far after and it's giving me insight into like my own thoughts and my own life. Mm-hmm. And this doesn't really do that for me, but I could totally see how it would for other people. Yeah. Big time. Well, especially with the ending, like I find the ending very arresting and kind of ominous and and abrupt even. Do you know that some psychologists, psychiatrists did a study of over 400 films in 2018, and they have described Shigura as the most clinically accurate representation of a psychopath. I get that. He's in, he's incredible. The way that we were talking about Michael Myers being very quiet but very calculated, it's the same kind of thing here. Like, like he's so menacing. He he's not quiet, but and he does, when he does speak, it's very it's very disarming the way that he speaks with people throughout the film and. It's set up that like he'll kill you for looking at just looking at him wrong. Mm-hmm. And anytime he's on the screen, it, it's electric. Mm-hmm. Do you know that Javier Bardem was very resistant to playing the role? Because of the haircut? <laughs> no, no. So I do have a funny thing about the haircut. But before even the haircut, uh, the Coen brothers asked him to play the role. And his response was, I don't drive. I speak bad English and I hate violence. And their response was, that's why we called you. <laughs> that's great. Um, but about the haircut, when he saw himself in the haircut, he turned to the Cohen brothers and said, oh, no, now I won't get laid for the next two months. <laughs> and then the Cohen brothers turned to each other and high-fived. <laughs> oh, no, it's bad. It's worser than worse. <laughs> it's getting worser. <laughs> Take me to mummy. <laughs> um, Bring me to mummy. <laughs> I have to... This made me laugh so hard. So I was looking at the trivia on IMDb. And this is a trivia item. And on the IMDb trivia, you can say whether you found something interesting or not. Mm -hmm. And then it tells you how many people found it interesting. So I really need to share this piece of trivia with you. Mm -hmm. Josh Brolin and Javier Bardem have the same initials and the same number of letters in their last names. Did you find that interesting? (laughs) No, one out of 22 people found that interesting. (laughs) That one person's like, screw you. That is interesting. (laughs) (laughs) who would have thunk (laughs) just just wow 21 other people are like great who cares (laughs) (laughs) like what a coincidence hey call me person number two because you uh, found that interesting that's interesting why not if you want to let us know if you found it interesting (laughs) at bad dad dot rat dad instagram wow that was interesting (laughs) i will be the third and fourth and fifth, people that find that interesting. Hell yeah. But that it would become two out of 23 people find that interesting. Right? <laughs> well, yeah. There's always going to be 21 people that did not find that interesting. Well, they're... And call me number 22. They need to open their minds. <laughs> Roland Bardem, same number of letters? <gasps> That's interesting as hell. All right. Yeah. It, it was great to revisit this film. Love it. How to make you feel. Very glad my sister wasn't there. <laughs> yeah, me too. Good <laughs> Lord. Talky talker. Keep it down. Uh, but mostly just like totally captivated and engrossed. Like this film mm-hmm. had me glued to it and I just like couldn't peel my eyes away. Yeah. Yeah. Same. I, it makes me totally feel captivated, but it also just makes me feel heavy. Mm. Like there's just a heaviness I leave this film with, especially after the final scene. And just how everything wraps up or or even doesn't wrap up with the story. Um, yeah, there's a fundamental thought in this film that maybe humans 
aren't good. Yeah. Like maybe at our core, we're not good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it seems like throughout the story, it's like, even when we try to be good at what cost? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It makes you confront some very human things throughout it. It's great. It's really well structured. I think it, I don't know. The, the Academy Awards are kind of bullshit, but I think if there's, there's anything to take away from, from it, that's positive. I think this is a worthy best picture winner. You heard it here, folks. There you go. Academy Awards are bullshit. <laughs> but this time, they got it right. But this time, they got it. It hit the nail right on the head. Okay. I'm, ex- I'm excited to talk about this next one. I did not expect this this week. It was my pick. Great so, pick. I was struggling with figuring out what I felt like watching. And I <laughs> went to my watch list, which has almost 500 films on it. Nothing and I didn't want to watch any of it. And I was like, well, I'm in the mood for something like kind of light, kind of fun. So I filtered my watch list by comedy and I still didn't see anything I wanted. So I was like, well, it doesn't have to be something new. And so then I filtered my films I've already seen by comedy. Mm-hmm. I didn't see anything I wanted to watch, but I did <laughs> see The Favorite. And I was like, I don't want to watch The Favorite. But I do want to watch The Lobster, Hell yeah. which is not classified as a comedy. It is classified as a drama, romance, sci-fi. <laughs> but it's pretty freaking funny. funny. It came out in 2015. It was directed and written by Yorgos Lanthimos and co-written by him and Ephthemis Flippou, um, starring Colin Farrell as David, Rachel Wise as the short-sighted woman, and Olivia Colman as hotel manager. <laughs> if you've never heard of The Lobster... Friggin' strap in. This is the synopsis. In a dystopian near future, according to the laws of the city, single people are taken to the hotel where they are obliged to find a romantic partner in 45 days or they're transformed into animals and sent off into the woods. (laughs) We've seen this before. Yes, once. Once. And we'll get into the conditions of that in a second. Um, But I just, I wanted to watch it. Mm What do you think of The Lobster? I loved it. And I don't remember feeling that the way that way the first time that we watched it, but rewatching it, I was very excited when the title card came up on the screen cuz I've been wanting to revisit this since that first time. We've seen more This was our first Yorgos Lanthimos film. Yes. Since then we've seen I think we saw The Favorite Second, which is honestly my least favorite, mm-hmm. ironically. Um and then we've seen Dogtooth, which I really liked but is deeply uncomfortable. Yeah, And then what? Oh, and Killing of a Sacred Deer, which I think is my favorite. Mm-hmm. But it also will make you feel so icky and upset. Yes. This one's a little lighter. Like the favorite and this are lighter icky movies than Dogtooth and Killing of a Sacred Deer. I totally love that Lanthimos has these two sides to his film, to his approach to film. I'm here for both. It's very Hereditary Midsommar. Yeah. Like yeah. they both, or, or No Country for Old Men Fargo, right? Like there's a yeah. through line that has his signature on it. And I clearly really, like I like all four of them. Mm-hmm. And I'd like to revisit the favorite because that was another one where it was like, there were so many old people in that theater that clearly just wanted to watch a movie about like a queen. They wanted to see like the King's speech, but they yeah. got my ta- talkie talkie sister took my mom and her best friend to see it. Oh, yeah. Not knowing what it was. And my mom hated it so much. <laughs> also, 
I don't know if I've said this on the show, but one time my mom accidentally bought Old Boy with Josh Brolin in it. <laughs> and the, not bought it. She accidentally rented it, like just totally by accident. But she doesn't like to waste money, so then she felt obligated to watch it. <laughs> and when she retells the plot of that movie, oh, it is funny. And she hated it. She hated it so much. Yeah, she doesn't like weird movies. Um, she really wanted me to go see Ticket to Paradise with her and my two sisters this week. She was like, hello. I know that this is not the type of movie you would normally see, but your sisters and I haven't been to the theater since 2020, and we would like to invite you to come with us. <laughs> if you are able to come, I know it's last moment. Please let me know, and we will look into buying tickets. Best. Mom. <laughs> mom. Uh, my mom's emails and texts are written by bots. <laughs> anyway. Hello. The point of this story is the lobster. Oh, man. Talk about the first time we saw it. So we went to see it at our favorite place, Metro Cinema. And we went, we took a friend of ours at the time. And we were all excited for it. I mean, just the synopsis that you heard Kylie read earlier. How could you not be intrigued? So we were looking forward to it. And at the end of the film, something happened that we've talked about on the show that we really... We didn't have the language for it then. We do now where our movie going bubble was popped immediately as the credits mm -hmm. started to roll. So that essentially means that where we were not able to come down from the emotions and the, and being enthralled by the film and we use the end credits as we've spoken before to kind of come back to reality and, you know, kind of patiently come back into the real world and out of the movie world. But we were, it was very, the, that bubble was very abruptly popped by the person that we were with who actively hated this movie. So it kind of ruined and kind of spoiled the the experience for us a little bit. Because I think that both of us really liked it. Mm -hmm. But we weren't able to express that like for it. Because somebody hated it so much. Yeah. Yeah. And like, didn't just oh, I didn't like that movie, like was offended by the movie, was yeah. like thought it was a movie that shouldn't exist. Yeah. Then yeah. how can we say, oh, we really enjoyed it? Yeah. It, yeah. When, when somebody just kind of actively hates it and then they're like, what do you think? It's just like, well, okay. I, I mean, I, I liked it, but <laughs> it's very timid. And I totally get why this film or any Yorgos Lanthimos film wouldn't be for someone. Totally. Like, they're icky movies. Oh, yeah. Like, they're deeply uncomfortable. And I don't remember getting as much as I did this time that this is, like, a wry critique of the, like, expectation that everyone be in a relationship. Yeah. And I, I think I just, like, enjoyed the film as the film. And also, I'd, I'd never seen a movie by him. I didn't know what to expect. And I was just, like, agog at the bizarreness of it mm -hmm. and the tone of it. Knowing what his films are like and going back and revisiting it, I was like, this is a really smart movie. Yeah. Like, it's really biting in what it has to say through this bizarre concept about the social requirement to be in a couple. Mm -hmm. And about that requirement that, like, to have that life of romance, marriage, kids cycle continues that like that's the only acceptable path in life yeah and like the critique on those norms 
it's it feels so unique and so brilliant in this and they also use very dry humor to poke fun mm-hmm. at it of like oh is this not working out well here's the solution to that and it's playing off of very real things that people do that i mean in my mind is kind of nonsense it's just hyperbolized right yeah but like you can look at these moments and be like well i know somebody who's done something not to that degree mm-hmm. but honestly not that different yeah and i thought that was just as ridiculous but then i also wonder to what degree someone who watches this who you and i have such a different life path i say all the time I wanted to be single for my whole life. Like that was my plan. I was like, I'll live with friends and I'll just date around and like, that'll be my life. Like I I didn't have a desire to get into a long-term relationship. Mm -hmm. And then you came along and ruined that. Yeah. So I genuinely don't know what it's like to desperately want to be in a relationship. Mm. I don't know what it's like to be trying to make that happen Mm -hmm. and it not happening. And we've had people in our lives who are, you know, dating and going on tons of dates trying to find somebody and like actively pursuing that. And we we haven't had to go through that. I mean, you did a little bit in grade 12, <laughs> but <laughs> yeah. I don't think it was all that serious. So I just, I, I'm coming from a privileged point of view in the respect that like, I, I don't know what it is to want that mm-hmm. and be struggling to get it. Yeah. But I've watched people we know really wanting to seek this out. And the question to me is always like, well, why though? Mm-hmm. Like if it's a, if it's a really intrinsic desire that you want, like if I was told I couldn't have a cat or if like cats were like really hard to get, uh-huh. like there was like a shortage of cats and you had to go through like a really intense process to find a cat and I'd be pretty heartbroken. Yeah. So like if I think of it that way, <laughs> I, I, may, right. I maybe get it um i don't know it was it's so it was really really wild to watch it and think about the social commentary this time yeah no you're totally right too i mean we are definitely coming at it from this kind of point of privilege but just from what i've seen i mean both in media but and also from people in our lives it seems like dating or finding companionship or just finding a person even finding a friend in as an oh. adult like, I've tried to do that and it's been I like went on like Bumble BFF for like not even a week and I was like I hate this so much. Yeah. And I was like I guess I'm either doomed to never find another friend again or and then thankfully since then I've made new friends but it just happened organically it didn't happen through an app. But I think it's really hard like when you kind of hit a spot where it's just like I want friends or I want companionship. Yeah. To seek that out. I mean, it's accessible as ever just through online. Yeah. Whether it's something that you want to have a long distance digital relationship or if you want to meet somebody that's close to you proximity wise. But finding people and going through, that sounds terrible, but going through people to find matches and people that you sync up with, it seems really hard. Mm -hmm. Especially if both people are seeking that. And this is part of what this movie is looking at to watch to what degree when two people are aiming for the same thing, how can you trust the honesty of those interactions when there's an end goal in mind? Mm-hmm. You know, like, yeah. I don't know. It's so it's so tricky. And I just I haven't ever been in that position. So it's hard for me to it's hard for me to understand how maybe this film would 
poke at parts of a person that they don't want to acknowledge, mm-hmm. perhaps. Yeah. Or feel like they're being unfairly judged. Because of the this in, in the film, just because of the state of things that like if you don't find companionship within 45 days, you get turned into an animal. Then, then some of those things can, when you're starting to kind of run up against the clock, you maybe start doing things that you wouldn't normally do or are not indicative of your personality or who you are as a person. And how much of that is connected to our real world too, though, right? Exactly. Like you feel like you're running out of time to have a kid or there's pressure from your family or whatever it may be, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I have to, I have to say, <laughs> I think you asked, because oh, in the movie you get to choose what animal you would turn into. I was going to ask you this again here, yeah, yeah. And I said, I don't know, like a cat? Yeah. And then you said so fast, a horse. <laughs> yeah, that was. And I, and I just looked at you and said, why? <laughs> why a horse? That was a, that was a joke. That was a, that was a bit. Uh, I don't think it was. I think that you genuinely really want to be a horse. I don't. <laughs> so what would it be? It'd be a tiger. Whoa. Yeah. Whoa, Elliot. Richard Parker, baby. <laughs> I just, just want to be a house cat. No, preferably I, Siamese. Why, why? Why do you want to be a house cat? Sweet ass life. <laughs> Our little house cat is just like asleep beside you right now with his little head. Oh, he just moved he's a little loving bit. the cold weather. It is cuddle season for him. Oh yeah, it is on. And he just like gets treats and he gets kisses and he has a million cat treats. I want to be a house cat in a house with no children. All right. Okay, but here's here's my other favorite part of this movie is people have um, defining characteristics. So that's why Rachel Wise is the short-sighted woman. Her defining characteristic is she's short-sighted. There's a character whose defining characteristic is he has a limp, one who she gets nosebleeds. What's your defining characteristic, Elliot? And this follows you into your animal. So there's like a character that has great hair. And then when that character becomes a horse, the horse also has great hair. Yeah. Um, can't swim. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to be a tiger that can't swim? Yeah. Do you see Richard Parker in the Life of Pi movie? <laughs> <laughs> he looks cute as hell, but he's, he he's going dr- to drown. <laughs> uh, what's my defining characteristic? Grouchy? Yeah. And that lends itself well to house cat. <laughs> <laughs> Grouchy and smart. <laughs> yeah. No, I... I've, I actually put a lot of thought into this because I wanted to re-ask you that question on the show. I didn't put any thought into it and I still want to be a house cat. That's all right. I, I would consider a wolf yeah, or a fox. I just, But I, I feel like I might get hit by a car and I don't want that. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, that's like... I want to be a house cat that they don't let outside. That's like, those are all very like close to people proximity animals. I kind of want to be like, people don't want to fuck with me. And be like strong, Have, strong and gorgeous. Of, you read, you love Life of Pi. I do. I, Richard yeah. Parker's in close proximity to Pi Patel that whole time. <laughs> well, I mean, no, I won't say anything. <laughs> <laughs> We're a spoiler-free podcast. Yeah, we won't spoil and I'm books about to either. start teaching this book. Oh my god! If you haven't read, okay, just gonna say, if you haven't read Life of Pi, please read Life of Pi. It is freaking incredible. Elliot hasn't read a book in like a decade, but it is his favorite book of all time. Yeah. I read that sucker a few times. It's quite good. <laughs> oh. All right. Anyway, uh, we're in a goofy mood today. It's because we didn't talk about this at the top of the episode. We're on vacation. Hell yeah. We're on vacation. We're on home vacation. We're on staycation, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. It is Sunday. We're on the Adam and Barbara Maitland of Beetlejuice vacation where we're just at but home. But we won't die. Yeah. Well. 
posthumously post this episode. <laughs> Please check on us when this uh, drops. Make sure we're still alive. Um, before we get into the last little bit of this, I just want to say that this has like the kind of ending I love in a movie. Mm. Which I know is the ending a lot of people hate in a movie. Favorite kind of ending. Can't talk much more about it, but it's just like an ending where you have to make some some decisions. Yeah. Where the viewer has to decide what what they understood about it. And I love that. Yeah. I love it too. I have a couple more things that I want to mention about the film first. First of all, I I love that we're just kind of on this Colin Farrell journey. Right. I am on a journey to make him my most watched actor. He's it's just this year too that I feel like both of us have now kind of come around to just how awesome he is. Which is a, a new, like another lens to rewatch this through that we just really like Colin Farrell. And the first time mm-hmm. I don't, I don't think we disliked him, but we didn't have an affinity for him either. Yeah. But he's, he's awesome in this. He's so good. Um, Rachel Wise is too. I love Rachel Wise. I remember watching the mummy when I was a kid and just like thinking like, Oh, she pretty. <laughs> I really like Rachel Wise and she's great in about a boy as well. Mm hmm. But yeah, this movie, like it just has a really great aesthetic. The poster is freaking awesome. I love. Oh, it's beautiful. Yorgo, for the most part, Yorgo, Yorgos Lanthimos movie posters just totally kick ass. I really like the, the aesthetic. Yeah, this is this is absurd. It's uncomfortable. It's great. I love it. And I love that we watched it and loved it even more. How did the lobster make you feel? Uh, it made me feel like a little uncomfortable, but... Yet I was totally here for it and all of its absurdity and all of its beauty and all of its critiquing of <laughs> us silly humans. How about you? I always feel like a little aghast at your ghost land the most movies where I'm just like, I can't believe this is happening. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And like pretty icked out, but I love it. Yeah. Like I like that feeling of squirmy worms in my belly. <laughs> squirmy worms in my belly. I agree. Yeah. Uh, all right. Last film of the week. We were celebrating a very special time in our relationship when we watched this film. It was our 13th anniversary of being together mm-hmm. as a couple, which is very lovely. We've been coupling for 13 years. And it we've mentioned this on the last episode, but it was kind of funny because it's, it's November 4th, but it was our 13th anniversary and it was on a Friday. So it was Friday the 13th anniversary <laughs> belly and kylie um but it was totally lovely we went out had a nice dinner and then thinking about a movie we wanted to watch like we kind of wanted to ha- pick something that was that kind of played a bit of a role in our history together and there was a few movies we were kind of batting around and we settled on the 2007 horror action comedy planet terror <laughs> <laughs> Um, it was the first film in the Grindhouse double feature that came out in 2007. And this one was written and directed by Robert Rodriguez. And it stars Rose McGowan as Cherry Darling, Freddie Rodriguez as Ray, Josh Brolin as Dr. William Block. Big Josh Brolin week this week. Mm-hmm. Uh, Marley Shelton as Dr. Dakota Block, Jeff Fahey as JT, and Michael Bean as Sheriff Hagee. Synopsis, after an experimental bioweapon is released, turning thousands into zombie-like creatures, it's up to a ragtag group of survivors to stop the infected and those behind its release. Perfect anniversary movie. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think about uh, rewatching Planet Terror? And what is our history with Planet Terror? 
So first of all, it was really fun. Mm -hmm. Our history with Planet Terror is we've had a couple moments in our relationship that have been marked by movies. Like the first time you and I ever met was at the movies. Mm -hmm. It was not this movie. And it was kind of by happenstance. Like I had a friend who I wanted to see a movie with and she wanted to see it with her friend who wanted to see it with his friend who was you. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so we all ended up seeing it together, but we weren't really there together. It was like, I want to see it with my friend. You want to see it with your friend. And the two of them were friends. Yeah. But the first time you and I ever watched a movie, just the two of us. Yeah. Was this movie? Yeah. So it was in grade 12, I believe. Mm-hmm. It was after we had met at the movies. We had started to get to know each other. We realized we both really liked movies, I think. I think that's kind of how this started. And I came over to your house and we were like, oh, I really want to watch Planet Terror. We had both seen it in the theater when it had been out mm-hmm. and we wanted to rewatch it together. And so we actually like went out to Walmart. When you live in a small town, that's what you do. We picked up Planet Terror. We went back to your house and we watched it. And then after we watched it, we ended up like chatting, I think about the film initially. Yeah. And then just chatted for a couple more hours and like chatted about life and really enjoyed each other's company. And (laughs) I don't know if you remember this. I know I've mentioned this to you before, but you drove me home. And when we got in the car, you said, that was really fun. We should do this every week. Yeah. (laughs) And that would have been 15 years ago. (laughs) Watch a movie. And then talk about it. Every week. (laughs) Every week. (laughs) Yeah. So, yeah, this was the first movie that you and I ever watched together and then talked about. Yeah. And we, as friends, continued to do that. I don't think every week. Yeah. But we did continue to, you know, show each other movies and chat about them and then chat about our lives. Um, And then eventually. Look at us now. That turned into a, a relationship. And then now. This. It's wild. It is really wild. Yeah. But I hadn't seen this in a really long time. You, me and you talked about this when we were watching it, that we've rewatched Death Proof far more. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't sure how we would feel about this or if it would hold up. Mm-hmm. But holy hell, it's fun. It's super fun. We did. I do. I would be remiss to not admit that we watched this in two parts. We were very tired. It was the Friday <laughs> of vacation, like yeah. vacation starting the next day. We'd just been like, you know, that feeling of, Vacation's coming, vacation's coming, and then you can crash. Yeah. So we we watched about an hour of it, which we don't typically do. And mm-hmm. then we were like, we're tired, let's stop it. And we finished it the next morning. But we have seen it many times. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man, this movie is, it ain't deep, but it's fun. Yeah. I remember seeing it for the first time. I, I can't remember if I've mentioned, I feel like I mentioned this when we talked about it on, de- uh, where we talked about Death Proof on the show. But I worked at the movie theater when this came out and I really pressured my boss to get Grindhouse into the theater. And he's like, what is this? And I'm just like, no, it'll be great. And, and then like nobody came. Nobody came. <laughs> I took a hit <laughs> financially on getting this to come to the theater because it's like over three hours with the two yeah. movies combined. But I, uh, yeah, I saw it. I saw it a couple of times and it it was such a cool concept. And this one in particular, like... I feel like this one reeks more of the very campy grindhouse feel than Death Proof does. So that's what's fun about this is it's it's not trying to be anything but fun. It's not yeah. trying to be a deep it's not trying to be elevated horror. No. Not at all. And I also don't have as complicated of a relationship with Robert Rodriguez as I have with Quentin Tarantino. Like yes. I don't I don't feel like I in retrospect look at his movies and find them icky. 
icky, not in the fun way. Yeah. You know, I now I haven't. I loved Sin City mm-hmm. when I was in high school. I probably have seen it like 50 times, like no word of a lie. Yeah. I don't know how I would feel about it if I revisited it. I know that part of Robert Rodriguez's thing in this movie and in Sin City is like sexy ladies that kick ass. Yeah. But honestly, I feel like I went through a period where I was like, that's sexist. And now I'm like, I like a sexy lady that kicks ass. So <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Maybe I've come back full circle and it's good that I didn't rewatch these movies in that time in between. Yeah. But I don't feel as complicated about him as a filmmaker as I do about Quentin Tarantino. Yeah. No, I agree. And I would, I really would like to revisit Sin City and talk about it on the show and revisit it now just with the lens that we put on movies now in our, at this point in our lives. But like something to mention about Robert Rodriguez, which is kind of nuts, is just how involved he is specifically in this movie. Like I kind of went through because I kept seeing his name as we were watching the credits and then I went through and yeah, he's like the director, he's the writer, he was the DP, he was the executive uh, visual effects person. Like he wears a lot of hats figuratively and literally mm-hmm. he has a lot of cowboy hats he does wear a lot of hats um but i feel i feel like that's so cool like it's such a it just, he just speaks really to, loves making movies yeah and, and he yeah and he does the music like the music there's a very iconic robert rodriguez sound to his approach to music <laughs> yeah it's very sensitive as well yeah I liked this as the closing to this week because just like The Beyond, it was a very gooey movie, a very wet movie. So gooey. Like a lot of pus, pustules being popped. A lot of blood. A lot of blood. A lot of barbecue sauce. A lot of barbecue sauce. (laughs) I will say, I put this in my letterbox review. This movie makes, I'm a vegetarian. But it makes me crave barbecue. Something fierce. Yeah, especially like with the ribs. Ribs are the last piece of meat we ever ate. Yeah. But man, they sell it with the barbecue in this one. Love it. This movie also, it leans, like you said, fully into the fun and has one of my favorite and one of the most iconic lines ever in a movie. Is it the one that we quote a lot? Yeah. I'm, <laughs> I'm going <laughs> to eat your brains and gain your knowledge. <laughs> it's well, so good. And the thing, like, I just, I love a movie about like a ragtag group of people coming together to kick ass against like a force that we want them to kick ass against. Yeah. Like, I love a Shaun of the Dead. I love a, I mean, is it always zombies? I don't know. Like, attack the block. Yeah. You know? Where it's like people, you know, and there's people being thrown together that maybe there's a rivalry or they hate each other, but Ooh. then they end up like being like, oh, wait, no, you're awesome. You're good with a gun. Yeah. <laughs> Give them all the guns. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. This movie is so fun. And it knows how ridiculous it is. And it just revels in that. And everyone's in on the joke. Yeah. Um, two really funny things I learned. One is there's a child death in this film. That's not the funny part. Um, <laughs> But Robert Robert Rodriguez found that scene and shooting that scene and writing that scene really troubling. And so he cast his own kid because he felt it would be unfair to ask anybody else's child or any child to play that role. Mm. And they filmed a whole nother version of the film where that child does not die so that his son wouldn't know that he died. And they, <laughs> and they have a cut of it. Like the Rodriguez family has a version of Planet Terror where the kid doesn't die and makes it through to the end of the film. That's awesome. 
um, and no one else sees it. That's hilarious. Another thing, which is so cool, simply because of the accidental kismet of us watching these two movies together, is that Josh Brolin was filming this movie when they were doing auditions for No Country for Old Men, and he wanted to audition. The Coen brothers said no. So Robert Rodriguez helped him film with all of the stuff that he has, a like high-quality audition tape where like... um. Marley Shelton played the wife and they put this like super cinematic, well done audition tape together that he sent into the Coen brothers and it got him the role. That's why. And they did it on the planet terror set. So he might not have gotten the role in no country for old men without being in planet terror and Robert Rodriguez being like, well, I'll help you make an audition tape. See that even just furthers for me, just like, how much Robert Rodriguez loves being a filmmaker mm-hmm. and wants to I'll make an audition tape for you. But how much he also just loves the people that get into filmmaking, no matter what their role in that filmmaking is. He's just like, you want to go do this cool Coen Brothers movie? I'll help you do it. Like, let's let's make some magic together. Mm-hmm. I think that's so awesome. And I love that he was also doing it on the freaking Weinstein's dime, like using all of <laughs> <laughs> like using all the gear from Planet, Planet Terror, Terror to do this, to do this yeah. audition for a Coen Brothers movie. It's awesome. That's so great. Uh, I also want to just talk about Rose McGowan for a second because she she's awesome and has one of the most iconic looks mm-hmm. in it. Like her on the poster with the gun for a leg. I think we have that poster. Yeah, I, I think I bought it from Walmart. Like, oh, it's not like <laughs> it's not like, it's not a legit it's, movie poster. Yeah, it's not like a one sheet or anything. But I just remember thinking like, this is so cool. And it's like the the fate of humanity rests on a high powered machine gun or something like that. So so campy, but so good. But it's also kind of it's also tricky to watch this movie a little bit, just kind of knowing you know as amazing as Rose McGowan is, and then you know kind of leading the charge of the Me Too movement specifically against Weinstein, the Weinstein's, and knowing that you know they're the ones that backed this movie their names all over this movie and then you know having her history with that like it's it's difficult to separate those two like mm-hmm. it, it's always difficult when we watch any movie and to see the wine scenes name come up in the credits and it's just like man that's that's well, a freaking shame they also produce scream right yeah which she's in and we just watched she's so great in that yeah um it's just it just sucks it really really sucks they should like do the thing where they go back and take the names off. I don't know if they're legally allowed to do that, but yeah. we should do it. Yeah, there should be like a plugin that they have for like streamers where you can just be like D Weinstein everything. Yeah, honestly, fuck those guys. But that was kind of like that's like the one bummer that amongst a film that is just super fun, super nostalgic for a certain time in our lives, and super nostalgic for our relationship. And you know, even though we weren't technically dating it was kind of kicking off what we're doing today just which the, is the bond that we have right the i don't know maybe without watching planet terror together maybe if we had watched a movie that one of us had hated mm-hmm. and the other person had loved yeah like if i showed you big trouble in little china or something honestly we probably wouldn't be dating right now <laughs> because we probably wouldn't have had a good conversation and been like we should do this again yeah because that i just remember that night being what this show is, right? Which is that, which is honestly, I hadn't even thought about this until we started talking about this. I was just mm-hmm. like, oh, this is a movie we watch together. Mm-hmm. 
which was that we watched the movie and we were both super excited to watch this movie together. Yeah. Because we had seen it in the theater when we were dating people that didn't like it. Yeah. And we were like, let's watch it together. Uh, <laughs> and then later we'll date. <laughs> we'll show that. <laughs> <laughs> Apologies to the people we dated in yeah, high school. That was not the case. <laughs> so we don't feel that way. Um, but we, yeah, we watched this movie. We had a lot of fun watching it together. We talked about everything we liked about the movie and it just progressed into this natural conversation about our lives and our histories and that's what we've been doing our entire relationship and it's what eventually had us say, hey, we should just start recording these conversations. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, I wrote it, I I put a little post up with our um, matching Beetlejuice tattoos that we got instead of getting married and in it I said, you know, those of you who listen to this show, really, this is a a record of our relationship and, and what we find so meaningful about the bond that the two of us have, but all of you who listen are bearing witness to that and being a part of it and honoring it. And we just appreciate that so much. Mm-hmm. And it felt fitting to hearken back to when this started. Yeah. In a really beautiful way. And, you know, just like our relationship, there's nothing really deep about this movie. It's just really fun and really gross. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. Our relationship <laughs> is deep and beautiful and I love you <laughs> most of the time, I think. Yeah, you're you're all right. I hate talking about. I love talking about my feelings. I hate talking about love. <laughs> love. Ew. <clears throat> Ew. Cooties. Um. Yeah. It was. I'm with you though. It was really fun to revisit this. And yeah, I I too hadn't really thought about just how kind of full circle it's it's all come and how the first time us watching this together has just kind of led to pretty much our whole adult lives of of doing (laughs) that together and leading us to the podcast. It's totally lovely. Um, Well, happy anniversary, babe. Happy anniversary. To many more. How did rewatching Planet Terror make you feel? So there's a, there's a certain amount of thankfulness. There's a certain amount of thankfulness that I have in watching it for the growth in what I think is cool and amazing. Because I, I did really enjoy rewatching this and I thought it was really fun. But I think when I saw it when I was 17, I was like, this is the coolest thing I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I don't feel that way anymore. And so there's a certain amount of love for that version of myself and love for that version of our relationship mm-hmm. and also deep gratitude that we've grown and changed and become com- more complex and reflective and all of that stuff. But still just a certain amount of teenage fun in watching this movie. Yeah. You? I think that's beautiful. That's really great. Yeah, it makes me really want barbecue. (laughs) Makes you no longer want to be a vegetarian after over 10 years. Yeah. Um, But it also just, yeah, rewatching it just makes me really grateful for it being the thing that's kind of started us off on the journey before we even knew it. Of just introducing us to each other and who we are as people and how we like to consume our content, talk about our content, and how that content eventually leads us into more meaningful conversations. I don't know, Elliot. I'm starting to think that you came back from the future to like make things happen because you said, let's do this every week. And the first time we ever met, I didn't like you. And you said, one day we're going to be best friends. Yeah. (laughs) I feel like you've come from the future to (laughs) insert yourself into my life. We've had a couple other seasons. Or a couple other instances of that too. It's like, just do this and this is going to happen and this will happen and you'll see. And then it, and then it's happened. <laughs> yeah. 
I or you just have the ability to predict the future. Well, I can't blow my cover, so I can't say anything else. You can't say else. anything else about it. Yeah. All right. I love you anyway. I love you too. Okay. Let's talk about some dads, shall we? Bad ones and rad ones? Let's do it. I think I I, I think I might have a bit of a, a unexpected bad dad nominee. Let's find out. I chose Llewellyn Moss from No Country for oh, Old Men. Oh, interesting. So the reason, I feel like there's a lot of bad people in some of the movies that we watched this mm-hmm. week. But I kind of took a step back and I was like, focused on the dad energy mm-hmm. of it all. And Llewellyn really stuck out to me for that reason. I found him to be very non-communicative with the important people in his life. Mm-hmm. He takes unnecessary risks um, he's compassionate, but only when it suits his needs and the things he wants to do. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the, the big enchilada, which is usually the nail in the coffin for a bad dad, he's selfish. Mm-hmm. That was, that was my pick. Would you pick? I picked the hotel manager, Olivia Coleman. <laughs> From the lobster. Yeah. <laughs> this is what I wrote. Absolutely psychotically chilling. <laughs> But the more important thing, she benefits from a system of abuse and enforces that system of abuse. Yeah. Like she is the person who ensures that this really dangerous, oppressive, abusive system continues. Yeah. And tries to manipulate people into thinking it's a good system and that it will benefit them. And that is not something you want in a parent. Yeah. I guess I feel like... With that argument, she's a little bit more of a kind of a bad president, like a cog within a system. Whereas I feel like Llewellyn is more of just like a person on his own that is making the decisions that have made him a bad dad. Yeah, fine. Nice. (laughs) Love winning. All right. Llewellyn Moss, you stink. Go away. Get out of here. Who's your rad dad nominee? I nominated uh, Jamie Lee Curtis's character of Lori from Halloween. Hell yeah. Lori Strode for the win. Honestly, weren't a lot of rad dad potentials, but when I saw her, I was like, oh, hands down. Oh, and just the way that she, just the way that she operates in that movie and goes about. The way she takes care of those kiddos. That's just it. I'm just like, oh my God. Like even like pre shit going sideways. She's great babysitter. Well, yeah, so, <laughs> even Honestly, even before that, this is what I've written down. Lori lets her friends be doofuses and loves them anyways. Yeah. Like she's like side eyeing and be like, all right, go have sex with your boyfriend. I guess I'll watch the kid for you. But she's just like, ah, yeah, wouldn't do that myself, but I love you. Yeah. And I will make sure that you don't cause any harm when you make these bad decisions. She does. She's a great babysitter. I'm a very good babysitter. She's a very good babysitter. And she puts those kiddos first. She's responsible. Looks like she makes a mean batch of popcorn. Yeah. Yeah, I think, honestly, just so great. But also something that's really great is she stands up for her decisions. Yes. Like she doesn't let her friends who can be little shitheads kind of bully her out of doing the things that she's committed to or the things that she has kind of set up boundaries for herself. She's like, no, I'm not like whatever you say, but I'm going to do me and I'm going to do what's right for me and I'm going to stick with my commitments. Mm -hmm. I respect the hell out of that. Not to mention that when shit does go sideways, she's super resourceful. She's strong-willed. She's protective. She goes into like mama bear mode. Mm-hmm. 
She and like to keep in mind too, like she's a teenager, mm-hmm. and that's really impressive. I want a teenager to be my dad. <laughs> I want a teenage girl to be my dad. <laughs> but yeah, no, absolutely, she takes the cake. Lori Strode, be our, be our dad. dad. Okay, bit of a weird rad wreck this week. We we're kind of struggling to find one, but. Just based off of some personal experiences of the weather changing this this uh, this week, winterize your life a little bit <laughs> sooner than before winter gets here. Throw on those, slap on those winter tires or the better all seasons, whatever you got. Put cover cover up your AC units. Put away all the stuff, all the summer stuff. Don't be like us where it just you get caught off guard and then you have to play catch up once winter's already here and you're dealing with snow on top of all of that. So a rat wreck of the week is to winterize your life. <laughs> winterize your life. You heard it here, folks. Don't be caught without your winter tires. <laughs> Don't be caught without a... Don't be caught slipping. Don't be caught slipping. <laughs> but also, like, don't be caught without, like, a snow brush in your back because your vice principal might yell at you. What are you doing? <laughs> Get a brush. One of my uh, administrators, who's a very loving person, saw me on this blustery, blistery day leaving the school without a winter coat and was like, where's your winter coat? What if you get stuck on the highway? And then I proceeded to realize I had no brush and so I was just, sit- I, I brushed what I could with my arm. <laughs> I'm a friggin' mess. And then I proceeded to sit in my car and let it defrost. Before I know it, uh, she's come over to me and is just like, I'll do it for you. <laughs> she didn't say that. But I'll she was brush. very, very like, you're a mess. And she, she got all my stuff done. And I just said, thank you. I'm sorry. Elliot usually winterizes my car. <laughs> Uh, that was some good dad energy, though. Yeah. Very like, oh, I'll take care of it for you. Yeah. Oh, please do. <laughs> <laughs> Gladly. We'll have yeah. someone else to Thank do it. Thank you so much. Anyway, uh, anyone who's listening to that and upset that I don't wear a winter coat, I will try harder to wear my winter coat this week. <sighs> but thank you all for listening. We drop a new episode every Thursday. And until then, you can follow us and slide into our DMs on Instagram at baddad.raddad. We are going to take a leave a leave from twitter a lot um, of stuff on twitter right now that that's happening over there that we're not happy with yeah that uh don't align with our ethics we're gonna leave our account up honestly we don't do a very good job of running it anyway and there's only four, 45 of you following us mm-hmm. <laughs> um we're gonna leave it for now in case one day twitter comes back in a way that's morally aligned with us as much as it can be mm-hmm. um but we're not going to encourage any Twitter use and we're not going to actively use our Twitter anymore. Yeah. But if you want to connect with us, we are going super hard and super sweet on Instagram. We got pictures with Michael Myers. We got pictures of our ghost tattoos. We got cool dads of the week posts. We let you know what movies we watched every Thursday when we drop with some sweet little quick, quick look at list. Don't miss out on it. Got Elliot some- got the coolest hat you will ever see in your life as a gift from some of our besties that just got back from Disney World. And yeah. we're going to be posting a pic of that. Yeah. So you got you to gotta go over to Instagram. That's where we're having the most fun. Yeah. So You can DM us. You can. Uh, we got a really great tag today asking us if we'd seen the movie Tar yet. Please tag us. Ask us questions. DM us. Like us. Comment. Tell us how interesting 
you find the fact that Josh Brolin and Javier Bardem have the same number of letters and the same initials. Same number of letters in their last name only, though. Got to get that detail. <laughs> no, yeah. But is that interesting? Let us know. Baddad.raddad over at Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and you can get a sneak peek at what we've been watching on our individual letterboxed accounts, our names, and uh, our usernames are in the show notes. And we would absolutely love you forever if you could drop us a rating, review, or follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening from. But that is going to do it for these two lovers this week. So until next time. I'm Kylie, and my dad's dead. I'm Elliot, and my dad's a deadbeat. But remember. Not all dads have to be bad. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.